Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, and welcome to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I'm your host, Annika. I'm hosting this podcast because I want to learn everything that I possibly can about the sailing lifestyle, specifically about becoming a Liverboard cruiser. I do this by talking to Liverboard sailors as well as industry experts and find out all the essentials about boat shopping and selection, the costs of full-time sailing, and exactly how people made their dream a reality. Join me and you will get real-life advice, practical tips, and maybe you'll even avoid making some costly mistakes. After listening to these truly inspirational and hugely entertaining stories, you and I will be better prepared to start our sailing adventures. My guests today are Roxy and Phil from Sailing Sonder. If you have ever dreamt about working from a sailboat while traveling the world, this episode is for you. In this episode, Roxy and Phil give practical advice to anyone hoping to work from a sailboat full-time, as this is exactly what they've done for the last couple of years, both in the Caribbean and now in Europe. This is a great episode packed with good advice and practical tips, so without further ado, let's get to it. Roxy and Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Why don't we just get started off by you guys introducing yourselves and, of course, your home, SV Sonder. Sure. Uh, well, I'm Roxy. I'm Phil. And uh, we're from Boulder, Colorado. Or I am originally. Phil is from Connecticut. But uh, we met, met in Boulder, Colorado and probably 10, 12 years ago. And we were living together there until two years ago when we bought Sonder down in the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, actually, in St. Thomas. And she's a 47-foot uh, 1986 uh, Choi Lee Pedrick design. And we've been living aboard and sailing ever since. We started in the Caribbean. We went back and forth between the East Coast and the Caribbean twice. And then last summer, we crossed the North Atlantic over to the uh, British Isles. And we've been here ever since September, basically. So take me back to when you were still living in Colorado. What did you guys do for a living? And what did you want to change from that kind of life? Yeah, we actually had a pretty nice life back in Colorado. Yeah, um, no complaints yeah, about our land life. We weren't sure. really complaining. Um, Roxy was working in, uh, in the tech industry as a software QA, and I was a full-time musician playing and teaching music and doing touring and stuff like that. And uh, together we lived in a tiny 400 square foot apartment. That <laughs> was very small little um, apartment. Which we also Airbnb, it was a two bedroom apartment. We even Airbnb'd one of the bedrooms as well. So we made it even smaller. And um, we were just kind of hustling and enjoying the fact that we were, yeah, making a little bit of money between all of our revenue streams. And we also had this growing um, side business, which is a, an online greeting card company. We make and sell pop up, paper pop up greeting cards. And uh, that was a growing business. And so, yeah, our life in Colorado wasn't 
wasn't bad. We we had loads of friends and and loved uh, skiing in the winter and stuff like that. But I grew up sailing as a kid and um, always wanted to make sailing more a part of my uh, life, especially since moving inland. I just kind of figured it was something that was going to be far off in the distant future, like a retirement type of dream. And Roxy, since um, we started dating and then last year or two years ago, we got married. She uh, started to learn how to sail from, yeah, sailing that we would do back in the East Coast with my family. And so she really took to sailing. But I think, but I think about the specifically what there wasn't anything dissatisfactory about our land life necessarily, but we really did have a passion for travel. And even though we had very flexible jobs, my tech company had like an unlimited work policy, which always kind of comes with caveats, but we did take quite a bit of time off. And so we would go sail um, Mm -hmm. or we would go travel, but there was always this like, oh, we only have two weeks and then it's back to the grind, you know? And even though we were very happy in Colorado, it always kind of felt like we weren't getting quite as much of that traveling and life of adventure as, you know, we wanted, which I think a lot of people can relate with. And um, so, but it kind of just felt like that's how things were. But then the idea was kind of sparked that maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people these days are realizing that you don't actually have to, and maybe you even shouldn't wait till retirement to start actually living the kind of life you've always wanted, especially now with more remote work being more accessible to everybody and more sort of accepted worldwide, certainly now after COVID. So I think a lot of people are seeing the light in that sense and realizing that there could be something something else out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's not easy, certainly. I think a lot of people want to pursue remote work, whether for a company that they work for or doing kind of a self a self-employed type of remote work, but but it does take it does take a lot of forethought and planning into making sure it's going to work. Because specifically with sailing, if you try to do the same job you're doing on land on the boat and you have a meeting at 8 a.m. every morning, it's you know it's not going to be a great fit because you don't know if you're going to have great internet connection at 8 a.m. the next morning or mm-hmm if a storm is going to roll in and you need to change anchorages. And so you, you can't get to your meeting on time. So, you know, that, that was one of the things that we had to work through in our minds when we started having this idea is, okay, we couldn't exactly keep the jobs that we have now and change our lifestyle because we weren't going to be able to commit to, you know, specific time constraints and things like that. So we had to start getting really creative. Yeah. And, and I would maybe just um, add Annika, looking back on our sort of decision to move aboard and do a sort of full-time cruising it was really kind of a series of smaller decisions and happenstances that led to that. Um, uh, the first was I bought a, a small old sailboat with a bunch of a couple of my buddies, uh, almost as like a, like a dare or a project. Um, that turned into Roxy and I cruising on that boat part-time in like say the winter season uh, while we were focusing more and more on our business. And then, yeah. And then when we actually made the decision financially to leave our sort of day jobs and just do our business a hundred percent, then that became a remote or a work from anywhere type business. And then sort of all of a sudden the cards, you know, fell in the right place and it was just like, Oh, well now we could, you know, upgrade our boat and then work from anywhere while sailing. So it, in hindsight, it was like these little steps had to happen and they weren't pre-planned per se for us, but um, they did happen and it enabled us to sort of get where we are now. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I guess the ultimate goal wasn't like the sailing when we started making some small changes in our life. It was more like uh, the ultimate goal was more freedom and ability to have full control over all, our schedule and where we were, you know, at any given time, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's certainly an interesting take on it that you already kind of had a really good setup that would be 
suitable for a little bit of more travel-based or, you know, based anywhere kind of lifestyle and that you already had that in place. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys sort of actioned that and took that one step further and pushed it like, well, we could be on a sailboat. And I'm sure you said you were sailing on a smaller boat somewhere. Is that sort of where the light bulbs went off? Like, oh, people maybe could do this. You could live on a sailboat and do all this. Or how did that come about? Yeah. So Phil said that he had this small sailboat that we were kind of cruising part time. So so we were keeping it in the Abacos in the Bahamas. And we would basically sneak out there whenever we could find the time to. So it would maybe be like two weeks in the winter and two weeks in the spring, um, basically on either side of um, hurricane season. And then we would cruise around the Abacos kind of like pretending as though this was our lifestyle and like loving it. And then after two weeks, having to take the boat back to the marina and pack away the sails for hurricane season and say goodbye for another several months. And and cer- this certainly this one time, I think it was Christmas of 2018, we went out and did that. And um, it was my birthday. It was also New Year's and all these cruisers in Hopetown Harbor, which if people are familiar with the Abacos, they'll know uh, Hopetown Harbor came out in their dinghies and did like a dinghy raft up where they all like 20 dinghies came together and were all hanging on to each other and passing drinks and snacks around for a full moon celebration. And I kind of like was looking at this and thinking, I want this to be my life. <laughs> like, I don't want to leave this five days from now. And so that idea was kind of spurred. And it was about two months after that, that I had the talk with Phil and kind of told him that hey, you know, I'd, if we can, I'd really like to make living on a boat and doing slow travel around the world kind of our new life. And, you know, he reacted well to that idea, which is good. And yeah, the next step was basically like, yeah, dreaming about boats, what would be the right boat being on Yacht World every day and different Facebook groups and, you know, just trying to figure out what that first step would be. Yeah, that sounds like a super interesting approach. So you kind of had the job situation already sorted out. You had a little taste of the live aboard cruising life. You saw there's people out there doing it. You tried it. You loved it. You decided to go for it. So how long actually was it until you said you bought your boat in the USVI? So how long did that process take to find a boat? And also, how was it to buy a boat? Technically not abroad, but still yeah. quite a, a distance away. It felt abroad, yeah. <laughs> even though it's part of the U.S. Well, we started looking actively March. Ab- about eight months before we ended up buying yeah. the boat. And it, we didn't have like a, oh, we, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, uh, you know, our sabbatical starts on April 1st, so we have to have the boat by then. It was more like, we're just going to start looking. We didn't have a ton of cash, and we were like, well, let's just look for the right boat. And when it comes along, you know, if it takes six months or it takes a year, yeah, we when were, the right boat comes along, the we right were boat casting along. a pretty broad net. I mean, we were looking on the East Coast. We were looking on the West Coast. We were looking at some stuff in the Caribbean as well, so we weren't um, looking for a, speci- a specific type of model. We weren't looking in a specific area. We were really just looking yeah. for the right boat. Because one thing we did know that we wanted was a boat that already had significant upgrades that it was designed for the kind of sailing that we wanted to do and was outfitted for the kind of sailing we wanted to do so that hopefully we could minimize the amount of time that we would be stuck in a marina trying to you know, refit it for, for our needs. And, and inevitably, you end up having to do that anyways, right? But it's like, it's it's all about how many weeks and how many thousands of dollars is it going to take yeah to get the boat that you choose to be the boat that you need and uh so that's why we were willing to spend more time you know and kind of broaden our search in order to find that right boat and like phil said we didn't have a a whole lot of savings so it was kind of like find the right boat (laughs) figure out what that costs and then you know come up with a plan yeah and i think i I'm really glad that we kind of came to a conclusion, I think based off of our, the, the, the boat that I owned before, um, where it was like a big project boat. I mean, I think we spent easily like twice as much fitting out the boat as we did buying the boat. Yeah. So for this next boat, we were kind of cash poor and, but we had earnings that we could borrow on. And so basically our strategy was like, let's get a loan for a boat so that we can sort of maximize our purchasing power. And then we have cash left over to be able to fit the boat out. 
and um, that worked well, especially because we still had our business, so we could could borrow off of earnings for our business as opposed to sort of quitting our jobs and then not being able to borrow. So that really worked well for us and our plan. And uh, buying in the Virgin Islands, uh, that was like sort of, it just happened to be that this boat was in the US Virgin Islands, but it's actually pretty sweet because there's no sales tax down there. So we didn't pay a dollar sales tax on this boat. State sales tax, yeah. yeah. And it was already, um, it was already registered with the US Coast Guard and stuff like that. So it, it was interesting because it did feel a little bit like a foreign country. And when we went down there to take possession of the boat, and had to start doing some of that refitting. It was like getting anything shipped down there. It was more complicated or you had to send it, you know, by freight or it was complicated, but but it was, you know, a great climate. We were able to go in February and it was beautiful and sunny and warm. So no complaints there. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad place to buy a boat or even do some of the boat work if you have to being uh, in a beautiful tropical climate, especially coming from a winter in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We were like skiing one week and then flew down to our boat with four suitcases to our name the next week. It was like, it's very bizarre, big contrast. You mentioned uh, before that you had a small apartment that you also used as an Airbnb. Did you end up keeping that or did you sell that as well? We didn't own it, actually. We were just renters. So, you know, we basically found new tenants to uh, rent it. Uh, After we purchased the boat, we went back and within a week, we had started packing up our stuff and doing uh, like garage sales, tag sales to have people come and buy all of our stuff, putting stuff up on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. So we made a little bit of money from selling some of our furniture and stuff. And uh, we sold one of our two cars. We wanted to keep one car there in Colorado because we thought, oh, you know, we'll be visiting quite often. It would be nice to just have a car so we can visit friends and family. And just a few months ago, we sold that car because it was like, we're not getting back to Colorado that often. <laughs> the insurance to keep a car, you know, is more than if we just rented one when we go back. So it was interesting. I mean, we were very invested in the lifestyle change that we were making, but there were like tiny parts of us that were like, let's not sell everything. Let's, you know, let's keep some of this stuff in storage. And now after two years, it's like, we don't need any of that crap that we left behind. Like we're, we're fully committed. This is our home now. And so we still have a few boxes in my parents' attic, but not much left. It's very refreshing to hear that you guys did not own an apartment because most people have the approach that they sell their house. And I am in the same boat as you would be. I don't own a house. I'm renting. So it's very interesting to hear that there are other people like there who's done this, who were in the same situation as I am. So thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's very nerve wracking. I mean, it's hard enough to extract yourself from the community that you're in or you've built around. Um, your life. And it's hard enough to just do that and then go on to this boat and stuff. It's even harder, I imagine, if you have a house and a house full of stuff that you have to sell. Or, you know, some people don't have to sell and they're able to to rent it out or something. But if you, you know, had to sell it in order to buy the boat, that's pretty yeah, that's pretty nerve wracking. But going back to what Phil said about the fact that we got financing for the boat, one thing to keep in mind, especially if other people think about going this route, is that once we started looking at some of the boats we were quite interested in, they weren't they weren't new boats. These are like boats from the 80s, late 70s, early 90s. And so a lot of um, insurance companies won't, or sorry, not insurance companies, a lot of um, banks. banks and lending institutions, even those that are marine specific, won't loan you money to purchase a boat that's over something like 25 years old or something like that. And so there was definitely a limit there. And so we were actually not having any success finding financing um, for a loan for the boat. And so what we ended up having to go with was a personal loan. So it was not even, it was not even for a boat or anything like that. So they didn't really need many specifics about the boat itself. And that ended up being a good fit for us. The interest rate was a little bit more because it was a personal loan, but it, it enabled us to basically choose the boat that was right for us, not the one that the bank wanted us to buy. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that's super good to know as well. And I have heard from the insurance point of view that there might be some issues as well if you're trying to buy an older boat that it may not actually be insurable, depending on how old it is or in what condition it is. So there's definitely a lot to consider when you're buying a boat and trying to figure all these pieces of financing and insurance and, and all these things together. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think the insurance thing has gotten increasingly more difficult in these last couple of years. I mean, we've already been dropped from insurance companies twice and had to find a new insurance company just because all of these insurance companies that specialize in marine stuff have been hit so hard by losses from the recent hurricanes that a lot of them have just been dropping like flies. So that's definitely something that someone who's interested in looking at buying a boat and moving aboard you know, to be doing research about the insurance sooner than later. And also do not use the word live aboard because if you say live aboard, everything changes for the insurance company. So they don't need to know that. Just don't use that word. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sure that might um, raise some red flags uh, on their point of view. Like, oh, wait, what? You're living on it now? <laughs> not just cruising on it a yeah. lot? <laughs> uh, one other thing for insurance, Annika, is uh, we found that Basically, nobody insures people to do transatlantics or ocean crossing. They or that, do. It's just a huge cost. Well, yeah, that that if they do, it's a it's a huge rider that you have to pay for, and they say like uh, you have to pay crew to come and do the passage with you. You know, it, it makes it all but impossible for you to do it yourself. So. Yeah, so we were uninsured on our transatlantic. Which is a big decision to make, and I don't think we would necessarily recommend that to other people, but that was a decision that we made for ourselves, kind of trying to make a risk analysis based off of our comfort level and finances and things like that. And we said, okay, I think we'd rather self-insure for this Atlantic crossing and then get insured again once we reach Europe. And, you know, it, it, it turned out okay, even though we had things break on the Atlantic passage, it was not stuff that we would have put in a claim for anyway. So I think it turned out in our favor, which was good. And it's been easy to find insurance uh, in Europe as Americans. Does that make a difference at all? Where you're from or what your nationality is, where you are? I don't know that it matters about the owner's nationality, but it certainly matters where the boat is registered. And yeah, I didn't have too hard of a time finding um, an insurance company in Europe. It actually felt a little bit easier than in the U.S., but maybe that's because our cruising grounds are now defined as kind of Europe and the Mediterranean, where in the U.S. a lot of people are being insured for the Caribbean and East Coast and uh, a lot more hurricanes and risks there, I think, from an insurance company's perspective. So not not bad for Europe so far. So you've been cruising for a couple of years now. Has the lifestyle been kind of what you expected and what you thought it would be? Yeah, I think I think. We had the advantage of being somewhat experienced, um, even doing some part-time cruising beforehand. So we had a, we had some idea of what to expect as far as like what it's like to be living on a boat. I think things that did maybe come as a surprise to us is socially. I feel like you, it's easy to be isolated or stay isolated if you're a social creature that's used to like I don't know like more interactions, hanging out with other people talking to people on the phone and stuff like that. You have to be sort of proactive to make those things happen. And maybe I'm honing in on that because we're, you know, a year into the COVID-19 pandemic. But that was something that I found interesting even last year when we were in the Caribbean. But also you, at the same time, you, you know, if you are being proactive, you, you can meet loads of other cruisers now, especially through like social media, like Instagram, We've met other people like our age cruising, which is really fun. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if there was too much of a I mean, shock to us. Nothing that's too much of a shock. I think I think we knew that there was going to be a lot of boat work involved in living aboard, especially when you have a boat that has as many systems as we have. You know, everything from you know water maker to generator to you know lithium batteries and other systems like that. So I think that we knew there was going to be a lot of boat work involved, but it's just crazy. It's just crazy how exponential it does seem to be, how the things just seem to to pile up. And our boat is in good condition. You know, it's not like we have <laughs> a boat that's just kind of falling apart or anything. It's just that there are so many things that have to be on a maintenance schedule. And so, you know, we'll do a couple months of, of cruising. And then it feels like we almost have to like spend a month addressing, you know, stuff that needs to be fixed or maintained or something like that. And again, this is, that's just our observation from the two years that we've been living aboard so far, but we're in a Marina right now. And, you know, that's partially due to, due to COVID and there's a lockdown in England right now, but we've been at the dock here for 
for a couple months and we've been working on projects and we just seem to be adding more and more to the list. And I think at some point you do have to decide, okay, what actually needs to be fixed in order for us to sail and what are just nice to haves. And we've had some nice to haves that have been on our list since we were in the Virgin Islands that we still haven't done. And that's, that's just how it is. That's how it's going to be. So, you know, we've come to terms with that, but you know, we took Phil up the mast yesterday to put our wind vane transducer back up on top of the mast. And then he found two other problems while he was up there. So he's like, okay, we checked one thing off the list and we added two more. And that just, that seems to be pretty typical of the lifestyle. So I would say anyone who's, who's going into this lifestyle, like us with an intent to work while they travel, make sure that you're also accounting for like, almost a full-time job for, for one person or a part-time job for two people to maintain the boat as well. So it does feel like we're quite busy all the time because we're running the business. And then we have this other job, which is just to maintain our home. Yeah. And I would say that that maintenance, the, uh, the amount of maintenance is completely contingent on how big your boat is. True. Um, I mean, we opted to buy this boat, which is a 47 foot boat over the boat that I had before, which was a 28 foot boat. And, uh, the maintenance is probably, you know, it's only what another, another, uh, uh, eight feet or something, but it's, no, it's not. What did I say? (laughs) That's that's bad math. It's a difference of 20 feet. It's only a difference of 20 feet, but it's probably four times as much work. But I would say, again, that's not about size. That's about systems. On on Impetuous, which was this tiny 28-foot boat that we had before, there was no refrigerator. There was there was no like actual real battery bank. We didn't have a huge solar array. Well, we didn't there... have a generator. We have all these systems now because this is our home. And you know, on that boat, we <laughs> we had like a toilet That's... and a sink with salt water. Like it's not hard to finish your maintenance schedule on those items. Well, yeah, I would say that every boat has. Uh, a certain minimal amount of systems on it. I mean, so yeah, there's water, there's sanitation, there's electric, there's everything on a smaller boat, but it's just smaller and simpler. Um, so yeah, the maintenance on this boat is about four times what it was on the smaller boat, yeah. I think. And um, that's, you know, that's an optional thing. We elected to take that on basically. Yeah. But uh but just definitely be aware of that for those that are out there. Yeah. I mean, when you're boat shopping, if you see the boat that you get really excited about, but it has a dishwasher and an air conditioner and, you know, all these fun things, that's really great. But when they break, you know, is, is it worth it enough to you to have to fix and maintain or replace those items? So that's why it's so important to find a boat. I think that has like the right things for you, not what were the right things for the previous owners. And with, uh, Again, with this boat size, every like foot that you add onto the length of your boat increases your displacement by like a non-linear amount. So the boat becomes heavier, which means the forces exerted on it is a lot higher because you have to have a taller rig, bigger sails, all sorts of stuff to move that weight. So then the all the pieces, the components actually have to become exponentially larger. And so you're literally talking about like way more material that you have to purchase. So the toggles on your rigging, the clevis pins, you know, become exponentially more expensive as they get larger. So the expense of maintaining a larger boat is is also maybe twice or three times as much as expensive as maintaining a smaller boat. So that's something to consider for people that are out there. I like the the sort of old adage buy the smallest boat you're comfortable with instead of the biggest boat that you can afford. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that before, but that actually makes sense. If you were buying a boat now for the first time, knowing what you know now, would you go smaller? Uh, no, I don't think I would. Maybe Phil's answer is different. I love Sonder and I've, I've now grown into the size of her where I feel like it would be hard to downsize. But we also wanted a bigger boat specifically for the reason that we wanted friends and family to be able to visit. And, and I still stand behind that. Yeah. And I would, I would say that, um, I'm def- definitely happy with this boat and I I'm, would do this decision again, but it's, it's actually the third boat that I've owned. So it's, it's, I, I know, I kind of knew what I was, what we were getting ourselves into as far as, um, you know, the work and the expense and stuff like that. 
But yeah, also, if we weren't living aboard this boat, I think this would be too much boat for us. Like if we to, were to move back to land and then keep a boat to like go out on in the summertime, like I'd get a way smaller boat than this yeah. for no, sure. That's that's a good thing to mention that, that a boat that may be good for weekend sails may not be good for living aboard. But the space that we have now allows us to have you know, a place for us both to be sitting with our laptops and doing work it has space, you know, for our parents to come and stay and have some of their own privacy when they visit. So, I mean, for us living aboard, this is a great size boat, but we wouldn't keep this as a weekender if we had a house, you know, back on land for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like it's good size for long-term living as well. And one thing um, I, I do want to talk about uh, you guys running a business from a boat. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to ask uh, about the condition of Sonder when you bought it. Did I understand correctly that it was pretty much ready to sail, but you've sort of customized it to your preferences and liking into what you want to have on a boat? Yeah, we were we were looking for a boat that had already been upgraded to do like full time cruising, um, but one that hadn't like just come back from like being you know ten years of of circumnavigating or something like that, where it was old and tired. And actually, this was kind of the perfect situation. The boat had had a lot of extensive upgrades from a prior owner who intended to do a lot of sailing on it, but had to sell the boat before he could do that. So. Yeah, the boat had a water, a, like a new water maker, low engine hours, low generator hours, solar panels, uh, stainless steel arch and davits for the dinghy and um, generator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so loads of loads of upgrades, extra tankage, things like that. So that that all like checked off the list. And um, but we we did things a little differently. We bought. Um, we didn't use a broker. We actually did a deal directly with the the owner, and um, it's kind of a long story. But yeah, we like self surveyed the boat too. <laughs> yeah, we didn't um, see where we bought it, which again, do not recommend doing. No, that, no, but, it was perfect for us. Was, was, but we knew what we were looking at, and we, so we felt confident in being able to assess the boat. Yeah, um, it was without a risk the need of a surveyor, a risk assessment on on our part that we felt comfortable with, but I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that to others unless they made the same risk assessment for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the boat was in relatively really good shape. Um, of course, like any boat, especially any boat that's thirty five years old, it still had a list of things to do. But um, yeah, it was in it was in really good condition. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that needed doing was actually cosmetic stuff because it had been down in the Virgin Islands, being lived on for the past couple of years, and the sun in the tropics just destroys stuff. So things like the varnish and the canvas and stuff like that were just really eaten up by the sun, and so we had to replace those things. And then the only major upgrade, otherwise, that we did before we left the dock and basically sailed six days nonstop to the Bahamas from there was putting in a lithium battery bank because the batteries at the time were old lead acid batteries that were just would die in a matter of hours. It, it was really bad. So we upgraded those and that was a really big project. But once we had that done, she was ready to just go. So we took off to the Bahamas from there. And so we're able to start that live aboard life pretty quickly. We were lucky. We were only stuck in the marina for two, three weeks. Oh, wow. That's almost nothing compared to some people that I've followed where they're stuck there for a year and all oh, that turned into, you know, an additional a few months because something else came up. So that's that's really good. I'm happy to hear that you guys had a good, good experience that way. Yeah, well, going back to running a business while you're doing this, for us, it felt like our time was money because we were we were running a business. So if we had taken a year to do this boat project and taken our focus away from uh, our business, that, that could have cost us a lot. So we were willing to pay more for the boat that was in the right condition, pretty much ready to sail um, so that we could stay focused on our, on our business and continuing to grow that because that was going to be our ability to really create longevity with the lifestyle if we could afford to keep going. So I'm glad that we did that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Obviously, you mentioned that you took out a loan, but at the same time, you run a business, so you can you have a plan to paying off those payments, so you have safety uh, in financial terms in that way. But let's talk about your business. What is it that you actually do? You mentioned it's a, it's a greeting card company, but what aspects of that do you run from the boat? Obviously, you don't do everything there. You probably have employees or contractors and so on. So what do you do from the boat for the business? We, um, we do all the designing for new products. We do the marketing. We do the advertising. We do basically everything that you can do online. Um, the things that don't happen here is the manufacturing. Uh, so we have manufacturers that, that we deal with remotely who actually assemble the cards and then ship them. And then distribution as well is done by another partner. Um, so fulfillment of orders, they're picked and packed and sent to our customers from fulfillment centers, both in the U.S. and in Europe. So we don't typically touch our products, which is kind of crazy um, when we do go and visit family or something, we'll be sending samples to ourselves to be delivered there and stuff. But pretty much everything is done remotely. So it's crazy. But we were in like, very remote anchorages of the Caribbean and and in Scotland, and where there's no other people around for miles. And yet, you know, I'm uh, discussing and building new products and having them um, manufactured and, and delivered to customers. And it's just kind of a testament to like how far technology has taken us that we were able to not only um, continue our business, but actually grow it um, year over year, which is really cool. And so, you know, we've been able to, over the past couple of years, continue to um, build things up and we've paid off our boat loan. And, and so, yeah, it feels really good and, and amazing that we can do this. Yeah, I, I would be curious to hear, well, you spent some time in the Caribbean and now in Europe as well. Uh, in my mind, I think that running a business on board would be easier in Europe just based on maybe internet availability and reliability. But can you talk to that a little bit? Is it actually easier based in Europe or does it matter? I think the connectivity is pretty good now, even in the Caribbean especially if you're prepared for it. Uh, so we use a couple different Google Fi phones. Uh, it's a, well, Google Fi is a plan. And so they're on Android phones, but they're, it allows you to have, uh, they have partner relationships with all sorts of different cell providers. So basically I think it's 160 countries, you know, you can bring a f this phone and you'll get data wherever you go. So that, that worked for us in the Caribbean as it does here. And then, um, Separately, we've we also try to pick up a local SIM card uh, for sometimes faster data. Local SIMs provide, and uh, so I think connectivity is pretty similar. What I will say that makes working in Europe a little easier than in the U and uh, the Caribbean, at least so far, is the the environment. <laughs> like in the Caribbean, when it's like hot and it's sunny. Uh, you like really don't want to sit inside of work, you know, you just want to jump in the water and go swimming. And right now, you know, like, it's it's actually a nice day outside in, in England right now. But um, it's much easier to like sit inside, you know, especially when it's raining out and stuff like that. So I think like, that's a bigger difference to me. Than <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's one thing it is. It is hard to sit on your computer for eight hours a day when you're in these like beautiful places and you might only be anchored somewhere for a few days. And so it's it's different. We see these other boats, right? And they're, um, you know, living off of their savings or retired or doing something else. So when they're in a place, they're really in it. But for us, we're not on vacation or retired this, you know, we're working. This is our this is our life, which is also interesting when people come to visit us because they're on vacation and they feel like we're on vacation too, but we're not, you know, this is just our home and it keeps moving and, you know, we work wherever we go. And Phil mentioned we got married a couple of years ago. We still haven't had a honeymoon. And when I mentioned that, people are like, what are you talking about? Your whole life is a honeymoon. And I was like, it doesn't feel like that. I just work every day and do boat projects. Like a honeymoon to me would be two weeks off of like no work, 
no boat projects, like that would be a honeymoon. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's definitely a different mindset for sure. Seeing everybody else going on a vacation and trying to keep yourself disciplined to actually do the work. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you think is actually feasible to work from a sailboat? And I, I assume you do since you've been doing it. But uh, what are some of the things that you have to take into consideration if somebody wants to do that? Like obviously the internet thing is one if you're doing whatever you're doing online. But what else is there that you have to kind of think about? Yeah, I I would say if if sailing is your specific goal in trying to um, start a remote business or do remote work, make sure that kind of like we talked about before that that what you're doing doesn't have a, a strict schedule involved with it. Because if you have to commit to being somewhere or being available at a specific time every day or every week, that's going to be really stressful because you never know what's going to happen with the weather. You never know what's going to happen with the boat with your connectivity. So anytime when I have to um, be online at a certain time for a certain reason, um, I find that really difficult. And so that's that's what I've so enjoyed about having our business um, be really flexible, at least in terms of the things that, that we contribute to the business. So if others were interested in doing that, find a business where you really can set your own schedule and you're not having to answer to anyone else for their schedule. Yeah. And maybe just a different way of saying that same type of thing is there's loads of different types of work that people can do from anywhere now, especially this year with sort of forced work from home type of situations. So there's like stories of, um, you know, realtors who are now like, you know, making deals from their sailboat and stuff. But whatever you can move from say in-person or video calling into like emails, for example, that allows you to have some degree of time flexibility, or it allows you to do email responses using satellite communications as opposed to, you know, being unable to talk, you know, while you're on passage. But uh, so flexibility of schedule, but also flexibility of mode of communication is really, really handy too. So one thing that people who have less flexible type of work might find useful is using land-based, like a land-based type of secretary or a land-based type of virtual assistant or somebody who can be like an intermediary or who can step in and, you know, take care of other communications while, you know, you're, you know, out of the area or something like that temporarily. Yeah. So if we're going to be offline for 10 days for a passage, we'll let our virtual assistant know that we're going to be offline and that they need to be monitoring our different email accounts. And Mm -hmm. if something really critical happens that they should contact us via our satellite communication while we're out there, but otherwise that we're going to be offline. And um, luckily we've been able to make that work. You know, sometimes I've even had my mom step in and be like our end office manager and, and field emails if need be. But but, you know, just if, if this is your goal, yeah, choose choose a job that, that would allow you to, to structure your schedule that way because that'll make things a lot less stressful. There are people who just live in a marina and they work, you know, a normal job during the week and then they go off and explore during the weekends. And, you know, that opens up the possibility of a lot of more typical jobs and professions. Yeah, but- except never set sail on a Friday. is a superstition about that but but yeah i mean there's people who can do it no matter what but for us it would be really stressful if if we had to adhere to a tighter schedule and do you guys spend a lot of time in a marina obviously now you do because it's been winter there but you know summertime are you mostly on anchor or are you in marinas Uh, oh yeah we we're hardly ever in marinas i i would say um in in the Caribbean, we were at a uh, marina once when we flew home for Christmas. Yeah, we pretty much only go into a marina uh, to leave the boat or um, when the season is done, like right now in England. Yeah, but um, the, the costs just add up so quickly that if we stayed in a marina all the time, I mean, we would be we would be paying more than probably the cost of renting our apartment back in Boulder, Colorado. So for us, being at anchor allows us to put a lot more of our budget towards, you know, doing boat maintenance, going out to dinner, you know, doing fun things. Well, let's talk about a little bit about your budget, if you don't mind. What kind of budget do you have roughly um, per month? I'm sure it changes depending whether it's the winter in the UK in a marina or summer in the Caribbean in an anchor. Well, 
it's it's funny because it is it really depends where we are. When we were down in Antigua, when COVID um, first happened last spring, we were quarantined at anchor for two months and our expenses were literally zero. Like we had a Netflix account subscription and we had like grocery bills and that was it. We weren't spending any other money. And so that was really eye opening. Um, Cause Phil and I really do enjoy going out to eat and, you know, going and getting cocktails and stuff. That's kind of a way that we like to immerse ourselves in the culture of a place that we're in is to go try different foods and, you know, meet people out and about doing that. And um, so we tend to spend quite a bit on that. But to be honest, we really, we don't have a budget. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, because we're not living off of savings, because we're working while we travel, um, we don't find the need to um, track our expenses and adhere to a strict budget um, that much. And especially when we're at Anchor all the time, we are saving all that money that we would have been spending on rent um, back in Colorado. And so that money that we save goes towards diesel, it goes towards food, it goes towards, mm-hmm. yes, some boat maintenance, it goes towards the occasional marina stay, like the one that we're on now, a car rental here and there. So we don't find that our expensive living here is that much more than when we were back in Colorado paying about 1700 a month for rent in Boulder. Um, so it's hard to say exactly what our costs are per month. I would say we could live on as little as a thousand a month. Um, but on a month like this, where we're spending a ton on upgrades and stuff, maybe. Yeah. You have to kind of separate the boat maintenance, um, which is like a big fluctuating number. And that's like better looking at it on a yearly basis versus like what it costs to sort of like live on the boat. Um, and yeah, when you're at anchor and you know, if you're getting, cheaper groceries or whatnot yeah thousand dollars a month is probably enough for fuel and food and whatever small marina expenses you might incur but yeah it's that's probably a tough question for us to answer just because because we are working we just don't maintain a budget like we would if we were sort of taking off for a year and had saved up some money to be able to live on no, I think that makes perfect sense because I'm sure if you asked you know, anybody living on land, like, hey, what's your monthly budget? They'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> but having a business and having sort of reliable income come in must be a lot of freedom as well, like you said, in the sense that you don't have to think about what you spend the money on or you're not living off a tight budget that is strict based on your lump sum of savings that's planned to last you for 18 months and that's it. So I, I totally get that, that there isn't like a, a big budget that you're following strictly. Annika, if I might summarize this thought, I think the big downside of doing what we're doing, um, working while living on the boat, is that, yeah, we... We are sometimes uh, stuck on the boat working at the computer when people are outside playing in the water or whatever. But the big upsides is that, yeah, we don't have to say, oh, my God, we we only have like three days in this island before we got to keep moving because we've got to get to X before a certain day or whatever. We can just say we love this place. Let's stay here another couple of weeks and enjoy it and um, actually live here, you know, for and uh, right or some people will save up a certain amount of money and they'll go sailing and say well we only have a year so we feel like we need to see a lot because we only have a year so far we've been on the boat for two years and um you know uh, hoping that we're going to be in europe for another couple years in order to get a couple nice seasons in the mediterranean so we haven't set an end date for this chapter mm -hmm. necessarily you know we don't see ourselves living on a boat for the rest of our lives but I also don't don't see any day in the future where I necessarily want to stop. So it's nice that we have this sustainable um, aspect of our lifestyle where we're sailing, but we're also making money and we're able to save and make investments as we go along as well. We actually, when we were in Scotland in one of these remote anchorages, we put an offer on a house back in the US and we've never bought property before, but um, it felt like the right moment because of the low interest rates. And so we actually ended up purchasing um, this investment property back in the U.S. And we did it while we were at Anchor in Scotland. And that was just crazy. Um, but again, just proof that 
you know, with the technology that we have these days, it's it's possible. Well, that was kind of low tech, actually. We had a call scheduled with our oh. realtor, and I was up on on the tech with our with our Google Fi phone the and a drive for and, the internet. Yeah, in a dry bag attached to a halyard on the mast, hoisting it up to get self signal while Roxy okay, was yeah. down in the cabin, being like, "I don't have anything yet. I don't have anything. Keep going." Um, so, so yeah, so signal in that anchorage was a, was a little bit of a struggle, but. But we but we managed it. We managed it. Well, speaking of internet struggles, uh, obviously I have to ask you about Starlink and whether you've been following that and whether you have any dreams and hopes related to that, because that seems to be happening somewhat. I just actually saw it in the news here in Ontario that somebody who lives in a little bit of a more remote area had gotten it. Yeah. So have you been following that thing at all? Oh, yeah, that's a big part of our hopes and dreams because, you know, sailing in a place like the Caribbean or Europe, that's all well and great. You can get a local sim and have data pretty much anywhere. But going to somewhere like the South Pacific and doing what we're doing right now, I feel like would be extremely stressful, costly, and a lot more of our life would be dictated over staying in places where there's good connection versus where we actually want to be. So, yeah, something like Starlink or another Mm -hmm. satellite high-speed um, internet solution would be a step, a technological step that would allow us to explore more parts of the world. So we're definitely keeping an eye on that. And we'll yeah. be early adopters because that will really give us more freedom. Yeah, Elon, if you're listening to this, we'd love to be <laughs> guinea pigs for Starlink. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's listening, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a high-profile podcast. I'm sure he's listening to every episode. <laughs> No, it's it's really interesting to hear. I'm kind of hoping that Starlink will be, uh, you know, up and running or accessible or somebody has tested it before that in a, in a couple of years when I hope to do sort of the same thing. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that as well. So you are a, a few steps ahead of uh, myself and others who are planning this lifestyle. And I wanted to ask you, is there anything you wish you knew before you got started on this adventure of living on board and working from a boat and maybe anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I would, I would certainly going back to when we were doing boat shopping, we got really lucky that all the risks that we took and everything that we did ended up turning out. Cause like I said, we bought a boat without doing uh, a survey. We also didn't even do a sea trial before purchasing it. So when we sailed away um, after purchasing it, that was the first time <laughs> we had actually sailed the boat. And that that was a risk. And it turned out in our favor because this boat is perfect and we wouldn't go back and change anything. It's perfect for us. But I would really say spend spend time on the boat buying process. Don't just buy something because it's the right price or it's it's currently in the right place. You know, it, it really has to be the right boat for the kind of sailing you want to do. And if what you want to do is mostly be in marinas and, you know, just go out for a sail in 15 knots on the weekend, that's one kind of boat. If you want to cross oceans, that's another kind of boat. If you want to have a family and you're going to need, you know, a whole bunch of space and multiple cabins, that might be a different kind of boat. So really try to look into the future and think about, you know, what ultimately you want to do, because that's, that's going to, speak more to the boat that you need than necessarily just what's available on Yacht World today or what your budget says yeah. you can buy today. I would add that uh, I'd recommend for people who are not experienced sailors to get experience sailing and get experience um, doing passages, overnight sailing, because I think, well, and, and this is maybe just a, a generalization, but a lot of people these days with, with, you know, YouTube sailing being popular, a lot of people are coming into this, having watched videos of other people doing it and maybe getting an idea of what they think it might be like without going out and doing it themselves. And, um, you know, like you talked to Darren and Amanda from SV Panda and, and those guys, I mean, all the power to them. They knew nothing about sailing, went and bought this boat and like took off and they've done amazing hardcore sailing in such a short amount of time. And they've, they adjusted to it, but they are like super troopers. Like they'll put up with a lot of stuff. Whereas maybe other people may, you know, discover that they get seasick easily or discover that they don't like 
the sleep deprivation of overnight sailing or, you know, different things. So I would just recommend that people get experience sailing maybe before going like full on into this um, lifestyle because you really have to upend like your world to move on to a sailboat, especially if you're landlocked, you know, you really have to like leave your community. You have to quit your job or change your job or whatever. You have to do a lot of stuff to go live aboard. And um, whereas to like join a community sailing club or to charter a boat for a week or to buy a, a cheap small boat to do, you know, weekend sailing, like that stuff is relatively easy, relatively affordable. And you can learn a ton doing it if you're maybe unsure about whether this is the right lifestyle choice for you. Yeah. And I want to highlight that, yeah, you took some risks in the boat, boat buying process, but also you weren't first time boat buyers. You already had a boat. You knew how to sell. So you had an understanding of, of quite a few things. You know, you weren't just, you know, going it at it for the first time. So definitely something to keep in mind. And I'm also very much encouraging everybody, including myself, to get experience and, and learn how to sail. I could never buy a boat without having some experience on it, or not necessarily on that boat, but some experience in general. I sadly already know that I do get seasick on bigger boats, so yet to fully test that on, on, um, on a sailboat. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I'm hoping to do a sailing course as well and get some experience and see different boats and see what I like and then all that stuff. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you do also recommend that sort of uh, careful approach. Yeah, and and doing as much research as you can because the only reason that we took that risk of purchasing Sonder before having sailed her was because we had done so much research into this type of boat. You know, this kind of heavy displacement, full keel boat. We really knew a lot about the sailing characteristics that we could expect based off of our research of these types of boats. Um, where if if you maybe don't have that experience or have done that research and you just pick a boat off of Yacht World and buy it without sailing it, you're probably in for a lot of really big surprises. So, you know, we did we did have some of that behind us. And Phil, you read a book that was about self-surveying. What was that called? It was really helpful. Oh, uh, well, there's, um, yeah, like there's, I mean, there's a, actually, there's a lot of books out there that I love and I, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. It's like, Anyway, but uh, Don, one one book that's um, really helpful out there, it's written by Don Casey. Um, it's called The Complete Sailboat Maintenance Manual or something. But basically, he's written like six volumes and you can get it all in one big, thick book. And it has everything from like self-serving a, a sailboat to, you know, basically maintenance schedules on just about every system on the sailboat, fiberglass repair, you know, gel coat, all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's really helpful when you're going to buy a boat, especially if you're doing it without a, a broker or a survey or something like that. Yeah, to know what to look for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for all the advice and experience that you've shared. This has been extremely helpful for somebody who's sort of planning for this uh, a few steps behind you guys. Uh, just as we wrap up, do you want to tell everybody where your people can follow you, uh, check out your business and, and so on? Yeah, for sure. Um, we are not YouTubers, so you won't find us on YouTube. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Bill has dreams of making some sailing satire or something, but we'll see if that um, but for now, you can find us on Instagram at Sailing Sonder. And for our business, the business name is Pop Life Cards. Uh, so we're at poplifecards.com. Yeah, I guess that's... Otherwise, you can find us in an anchorage near you. Come say hi. Thank you so much to Roxy and Phil for being my guests today. And thank you for listening to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen. More amazing sailing stories in the next episode. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.